Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hey, everyone. Tom Salemi here. This is the OIS Podcast. Thank you for joining us. In this week's installment of Conversations About the Cornea, we'll be talking with Al Waterhouse, the President and Chief Operating Officer of AccuFocus. AccuFocus in February announced that it was selling its camera inlay line, its lead product that was generating revenue, to Sight Life Surgical. We talked to Sight Life last week, so we're talking to AccuFocus today to understand the deal, why it came together, why it made sense, what they got out of it, which was it was an interesting transaction, and what are their plans going forward. So Al was kind enough to answer those questions and a few more. Hope you enjoy this conversation with him. Before I let you go, of course, OIS at ASCRS is happening on April 12th. Please go to OIS.net to register. It'll be in Washington, D.C. It should be a great time. We went over the agenda today in a uh, call with the co-chairs. Looks fantastic. Go check that out as well on OIS.net. Now let's get into this conversation with Al Waterhouse of AccuFocus. Hello, Al Waterhouse. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been a, a busy month or so for AccuFocus. Uh, a lot of news, and we kind of want to dive right into it. Uh, but actually, before we do that, customarily, I like to just find a little bit more about our guests in terms of how they found their way into the ophthalmology field. What was, uh, what was your path into, uh, into this career in ophthalmology, and what ultimately led you to AccuFocus? Yeah, I, I had had, you know, my early, early career um, out of undergrad in Ohio uh, was in automotive. And I spent about 15 years in automotive in engineering roles uh, and in manufacturing roles and eventually made my way into healthcare and medical device. And I had, I had spent some time at Cardinal Health and I was president of Cardinal Health's uh, uh, packaging services group, uh, a large company in Philadelphia. And I had left there to do a startup in San Diego, and that startup was uh, – it, it wasn't nearly as successful as we thought it might be. We had uh, – you know, it's one of those where the technology was ahead of its time, and we had a group of investors that, uh, who had all worked together. I had worked with them, helped create the Pixis Corporation down in San Diego, and we thought it, we could do something in the retail pharmacy space around automation. It just didn't play out, and – so I was looking for my next role when Jim Mazo contacted me, uh, wanted to know if I was interested in uh, running global operations for, at the time, advanced medical optics before Abbott acquired it. So I went to work for Jim, and, uh, and that's how I got my start running uh, global operations for AMO. Uh, I stayed on after the acquisition of uh, uh, Abbott for several more years, and then when Jim made his way to AccuFocus. Uh, a few years later, he asked me if I'd be interested in helping him out here and and came here actually thinking I was just going to help out uh, a little bit and not do anything for a period of time, to be honest with you. Uh, and he just, he you know, it was one of those deals where he coaxed me into, can you help me 
one week out of the month, and the next thing you know it, I'm up here every day. So, <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jim. As Jim does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How, I'm just curious, is there a story behind the move from uh, automotive into med tech? Was it just a, a, a career pivot, or, or was there some kind of catalyst that led to that? Two people who I'd known uh, through uh, undergraduate had made their way to the Pixis Corporation that started in automotive. With uh, bo- All of us were at General Motors, actually. Uh, either in Detroit or Dayton, Ohio. And uh, they called me up and said, hey, we've got this great opportunity. Uh, we're going to start building our own units. Um, we had outsourced. How would you like to start from scratch and help build up this company? And, and it was a big move because I was leaving. You know, I had three young children at the time. We're going to move from uh, Dayton, Ohio, where their grandparents were just down the road, uh, to San Diego, California. Uh, leave one of the largest industrial concerns for this, you know, uh, very young Pixis Corporation, um, and uh, best thing I ever did. Life, life works like that sometimes. Well, that's terrific. So let's uh, let's move into uh, AccuFocus. I mean, we've uh, we've talked in the past, and uh, obviously you're uh, you're a regular participant in OIS, so we we hear your story frequently. But uh, we had some news last month where. Uh, Sightline Surgical had acquired the, the camera inlay line and to build out their corneal practice. So I want to delve into that a little bit. Uh, first of all, just give me your uh, perspective on the deal. What does it involve from the AccuFocus perspective? Well, we just thought this was a true win-win uh, for everybody involved. We, you know, we had gotten to the point. We, AccuFocus as a company is a late-stage startup. We're in our eighth round of financing we were fortunate enough to bring KKR in, uh, so now we have the investors we need around the table. But as we looked at where we're at and where we're at with funding uh, and where the inlay space was, uh, we were so pleased. Camera is doing remarkably well. It's, it's, there's a reason it's the industry leader. We're getting great outcomes. We still think the long-term prospects for camera are very positive. But that time horizon and our need for cash to fo- and need to focus on IC8 uh, no longer were aligned. And so here's Monty that needs to, you know, over at Site, uh, site Life that needs to uh, add some corneal products uh, to meet his overarching mission, which is to eliminate corneal blindness by 2040, looking for, for good products to do that. Our need to focus on ICA, and when I talk about why we need to do that later, you'll see why that was important. Um, so it was it was a win-win, and I say that because he gets a great product. He only has to add about five of our employees from the field to make it happen. We're integrating it into a company like SiteLife that already has a pretty robust revenue stream. So the break-even point's much lower camera is now allowed to grow at the rate it you know it naturally will as that market develops and we can now focus all of our resources on the remaining uh a small aperture product which is our interocular lens did you have some process in place to sell camera or was just more of a connection with sightline there was no other there were no other suitors involved in, in selling the line or anyone else interested in the line well, it was it was interesting. You know, people knew that uh, we were beginning to explore potentially separating the the two products that share a common technology, and we'd always struggled with that a little bit. And of course, this is our baby, so we were very protective of it. Um, I had several people, several companies approach us. Uh, 
But I think the fact that we like the story, we like the mission that Sight Life has. We thought they would be the best keeper of our baby. And then we have the natural connection. We share two board members, including a, sh- a chairman um, with Bill Link. And so it was just a real natural. We really thought uh, when we think about our stakeholders and primarily our patients and our surgeons, how would camera best be served uh, and, and and continue to develop? And we thought Sight Life was the best answer. Uh, and so that's why we moved forward. Before we get a little more into the why, what impact does the, the decision to sell have internally for AccuFocus in terms of uh, headcount and things like that? Any significant changes? Yeah, yeah, it did. And that was difficult for us because, you know, this is such a close net community. And, and, and the folks that we had here, uh, I was really blessed when I took over for Jim. He had some of the who's who in the industry in the field uh, group that he largely placed. Uh, and, uh, and, and these people have been long-term, uh, not just colleagues, but family. And so this was difficult. Uh, uh, five of our, uh, as I mentioned before, five of our field-based employees moved over to Site Life. Uh, there were another six field employees that we had to lay off and another two inside the home office. So we had a total of eight employees impacted aside from the employees that went over to, uh, Site life. Now, let's get into the the decision because it is an unusual decision to to divest yourself of a of a product line that's that's performing well. Uh, why did you feel that was necessary? And I, and I suspect in that answer is going to be a discussion about why IC8 is so important to you. Yeah, and most of it has to do with IC8 and not the shortfall as a camera. Now, having said that, you know the camera inlay because we had a single product in the U.S. in a developing market takes a lot. You know. When you're trying to develop a market, it takes a lot of energy, takes a lot of focus, uh, takes a lot of cash typically. Um, we did not have camera to a, a break-even point yet from a cash standpoint. Although it was performing well, it continued to gain uh, revenues each month, uh, and it was basically on track with where we uh, wanted it to be. Well, I can't say we had any major disappointments. Uh, it just no longer fit when you thought about with the, the – cash left to deploy where we wanted to deploy it. So, you know, the deal with, uh, and we haven't divulged the terms, but it was a non-cash deal. We are now an, a, a, an equity owner in Site Life as a result of this, so, which helps us. Uh, and the other thing it did for us, I guess I didn't talk about Tom, is uh, we have a supply agreement. We continue to produce camera for them. So we do have a relationship uh, where we're supplying the product to them. So there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of connection still uh, back to camera, and we're totally aligned on that part. Uh, but the real, the real emphasis uh, of the deal was really the focus on ICA. ICA was seen as the, the, the near-term value driver. Uh, you know, Site Life again has a has a longer-term horizon. Uh, I guess the other thing that would go into this is when you think about exits. Site Life, I think uh, you heard from Monty. Now, they've always thought that they would do an IPO uh, as an exit. Uh, we always saw us uh, as a technology that would be acquired uh, more, more than likely. Uh, not that we wouldn't say we wouldn't do an IPO, but more than likely be acquired. And it was pretty clear from the strategics, uh, it'd be a lot cleaner play as a pure play IOL company. And now that you're a shareholder, I'm sure you hope like heck they go public. That would be great for you. Yeah, no, that'd be great. <laughs> so uh, we'll get into ICA in a second. So you, you can you can you give us an idea of how large the equity stake is in uh, in no. Sala? No, okay. 
But uh, so you, so they'll be responsible for selling camera, building out that market. You'll be providing the materials for that. So they're almost like a, a not a distributor in any way, but they'll, they're, you're still sort of partners in the success of camera yeah. going forward. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. So so let's focus on an IC8. Why is this uh, platform so important? This is uh, the world's uh, when you think about uh, I, uh, IOLs. Um, most of the market on the the entire market on the premium side have been made up of light splitting technologies, right? Multifocality, uh, where we uh, artificially create uh, focal points in a lens, and all of us have developed them over a lot of years. And we finally are bringing one to market uh, that doesn't split light. Uh, the small aperture uh, essentially eliminates the, the defocus rays. Uh, and provides that depth of focus through this couple thousand year old principle that's finally being utilized inside the IOL. And what makes that fantastic is not only do we get a very good depth of focus, uh, but we get to do it without some of the uh, visual disturbances that are created uh, with light spinning technology, typically halo glare. And so we think we're, we're bringing a, a product to market that's going to be able to serve patients, for example, uh, patients that have never been able to get uh, or seldom able to get a premium lens solution like myself, who's had refractive surgery. Typically, someone who's had refractive surgery uh, and now has an aberrated cornea isn't a good candidate for a multifocal or trifocal lens uh, for a host of reasons. Uh, and most of it has to do with being able to calculate uh, what that refraction should be coupled with the visual disturbances. And this is going to be an ideal lens for those folks. Uh, I think IC8 will be the go-to lens for those folks because, again, you're eliminating all of the peripheral uh, defocus light. Uh, additionally, uh, when you think about this lens, right now it's a, a unilateral uh, implantation. It's a single lens paired with uh, monofocal it's likely to be an ideal uh, displacement or replacement for monovision. Uh, 40, 45% of the surgeries in the U.S. that take place today, cataract surgeries, are some form of monovision. And monovision, as you know, you end up having to rob one side or the other of the defocus curve. You're either taking away someone's distance or if they want to have that, that pure uh, and solid distance, you're going to take away their near and we think we have a much better alternative uh, for, for monovision patients and IC8. Uh, additionally, because it truly handles 1.5 diopters uh, of astigmatism, we're going to play in the torque marketplace. And the beauty of our product is all the things that go into torque surgery, uh, the alignment, uh, all the measurements that need to be taken. Then you're worried about rotation of the lens. Uh, none of those are our concern with IC8. And so it's a very versatile lens. And because it's so versatile, you know, Yari Mitchell is, you know, doing, uh, busy doing a lot of studies out in the marketplace. And so one of the things we wanted to do is deploy these dollars into additional studies uh, to support what we think are going to be the critical attributes with the lens. Uh, so we're moving slowly with commercialization. Uh, because we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves uh, before we have more scientific evidence uh, around the claims that we'd like to make. And we want to be able to deploy the dollars uh, both in studies and for the uh, FDA study. So 
you can get a sense. And, and then that's I'm not even talking about you know the next generation products because uh, we know there's it'll be an iterative process. We're just getting started with small aperture technology. You know, there's there's the possibility for bilateral implantation. We'd like to have a smaller incision. So because this the IOL space is you know is is so active and so competitive. Um, we really need to be able to focus on this market and and deploy these dollars wisely, uh, and that's why I think the board and myself, Yari, the whole team, wanted to allow ourselves to focus on the IC8. Hey everyone, Tom here. Going to take a quick break from this conversation to tell you that the presenting companies for OIS at ASCRS have been announced. Go to ois.net to see who will be on stage on April twelfth in Washington, D.C. Now let's get back to this conversation. And what is the, bring us update on the on the regulatory approval for IC8. Where is it approved for commercialization? It's CE marked, so we can sell in Europe, and we're selling in Australia and New Zealand. It's, it's a, and we, we could sell a number of places, OUS, but uh, the truth is um, we've, again, from an extent, uh, expense standpoint, we've had focused primarily on the U.K., Germany and Australia. And even there, we have artificially limited the accounts we're working with because we really want to work with accounts that are interested in small apotropics so we can get the information we need from them. Uh, and, and many of these sites uh, are dual purpose sites. We're, we do commercial work worth, with them, hoping to do uh, clinical work as well. Uh, so again, we can gain all the information that we need. So you know, our chairman, Bill Link, likes to call our commercialization a commercial experiment rather than just a commercial operation because of the learnings that are going on and the fact that we're, we're really not revenue-driven. We don't spend a lot of time focusing on uh, where we are from a revenue standpoint. Where we do focus on are where are these sites using us. Now, these sites are using us for aberrated cornea. These sites have displaced their other EDOF. This site is using us for monovision. Uh, and why are they doing it or why are they not? Uh, what are the results? Um, so we're, we're really in this learning stage so that uh, when we're ready to, with some of the other product improvements that are coming, uh, we know where we should focus our resources and we know where our strategic should be utilizing this, this uh, in their hands as well. And in the U.S., uh, w when you do approach the FDA, will it be the, the current model of, of IC8 that you'd be uh, trying to get approved for, or, or one of the iterations you're, you're talking about? It's going to be the current. It's going to be the current model uh, because we're in this window of time that we really can't do anything else. So, uh, because it's pretty near term, we're hoping to submit uh, an IDE uh, in in by April, uh, and we're hoping that we're uh, we be actually begin the study. Uh, later in this in this summer. And uh, do you um, have any? You you mentioned the, uh, the the KKR investment before. I assume you're you're well capitalized to uh, to to cover the cost of these trials going forward. We're well capitalized, um, and I think uh, any other additional monies that we may want uh, to. Um, if there's other things we'd like to do, I think will probably come as an extension of the current uh, H round and probably from the people sitting around the, 
the table. Uh, there's been a few uh, there's been a few folks expressing interest in participating. If we do something like that, some some outside resources, but we're we're well capitalized today. And uh, one of the other products in your uh, pipeline is the, the AccuTarget HD instrument. Can you give an update on that? Where is that? Uh... You know, actually, the AccuTarget HD uh, is a Visiometrics uh, product. Uh, out of Barcelona, Spain, we uh, we branded it, and we were the U.S. distributor. Uh, in fact, we might be for another month or so. I'm trying to remember, but uh, we've we've actively tried to uh, now that uh, they were acquired. Um, we have been moving away from wanting to distribute the product and turn it back over to them. Um, we still do a lot of partnership with them back and forth. Uh, we do require the device still. Uh, to uh, for camera, uh, but uh, uh, but I think Monty will probably follow suit. I think and focus on the inlay uh, and let the Visiometrics folks uh, manage uh, uh, the um, HD analyzer. They're going to brand it under one name, uh, the HD analyzer, and, and move away from uh, the AccuTarget HD uh, name as a brand. So going forward, then you're just going to you'll. Your primary business will be IOLs, or do you see yourself branching into other technologies as well? It's going to be IOLs, and it's going to be the small aperture optics and utilizing it. You know, there's there's a number, you know, people have approached us about a number of things. I, I really want to focus the company on uh, the current iteration and some improvements on that, uh, and as well as the next-gen product. Um, we've had folks approach us about uh, loving to see us do a sulcus lens with a small aperture. Um, and, uh, of course, you know, it, it's something that's obviously long-term a possibility. Uh, but we really see uh, our future right now. Uh, there's so much to do and there's so much opportunity. It's, it's, it's the most versatile lens in the marketplace. and We want to make sure uh, we really can extract all the value out of that. So the, the timing of the, uh, just going back a bit to the, the camera discussion, it, the timing was interesting with the news about the raindrop. It really sort of came one after the other and just left the yeah. impression, observers with an impression of this, the, the difficulties of, of this market. Um, just in summary, I mean, this isn't, you're, you're a stakeholder, but you don't have to do the day-to-day anymore. What are, what are the challenges uh, in, in building a market for uh, a corneal, corneal inlay like that? Yeah, that timing was unfortunate, um, and uh, it was a little troublesome for us. We we were a little disturbed uh, when we heard the news from uh, Raindrop, because uh, we we were obviously were pretty far down the path in doing this, and we we were concerned that 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 the wrong message would come across there, because we really do feel pretty positive about the inlay space. You know, the biggest challenge is the inlay. This is just Al Waterhouse's personal opinion. Uh, are the are the issues we've kind of created for ourselves uh, from a perception standpoint. Um, there's because, you know, like anything new, there's challenges early, right? And we didn't totally understand where that inlay needed to be uh, in the eye. It, it performed okay in other regions when we were in a, you know, when we were in a flap and we were shallow. Uh, it performed reasonably well. Yeah, I think I don't think it was until the FDA trial uh, when we saw the the differences that uh, a six by six uh, spot line separation made, coupled with going deep, that suddenly we didn't see 
any hyperoptic shifts. We didn't see uh, uh, many uh, 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 foreign body reactions, um, and it really started to perform much well. And then we even understood later, even deeper was better. So the procedure today, as it's laid out today, gives such fantastic results. Um, and it's so different than, you know, people are still reading about and hearing about things that happened 10, 12, 15 years ago. And so we kind of muddied up the water, right? We created some headwind uh, by going out too quickly. I, and this is easy for me to say coming in late, right? I'm not being critical because I, I probably would have done the same thing. But we went out pretty quick, um, and we created some headwind for ourselves, especially in Europe and in Asia where, you know, we had we did a lot of early uh, uh, implants. But the, the product as it is today, it could service so many folks in that in that 40 to 60 age range uh, and do a remarkable job. I mean, a testament is, uh, you know, we've got about 30 employees now at AccuFocus. I think we've got uh, 10 folks or so that have the inlay themselves. Um, and that's a pretty high percentage when you consider, you know, the number that are in the, because we have a lot of people that are too young and folks like myself that are too old. Um, but the, uh, uh, when you consider the percentage, uh, it's just how much they believe in the product. Some of our largest customers um, uh, and implanters, there's one office uh, that uh, when you go to that office, the refractive coordinator and six other people in the office have it. So people who are really close to it, really understand it, been doing it for a long time, uh, really understand the value of this product and how well it performs. But we've created some headwind. I think uh, only time, uh, and I think consumer awareness, you know, small companies have a hard time getting consumer awareness out. Uh, it takes really big dollars to do that. But I think it, with, with it sitting in sight life, having some time to develop, when people really understand the procedure as it is today, uh, our surgeons, along with Yari Mitchell, worked on this. Uh, the, 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 she has a catchy uh, acronym called MOD, uh, and it's myopic, meaning make sure you know that the, you, that a patient needs to be slightly myopic, uh, and really focuses on the ocular surface. That's the O, because you can't have dry eye and have a successful successful small aperture. Uh, inlay, and then uh, D for deep. Uh, we know 250 microns minimum uh, is really where they need to be targeting. And if you do those three things, uh, the outcomes are fantastic. So it's a matter of, of getting a better understanding from the physicians, or is it really getting out to the consumers and, and, and letting them know this product is out there? I think both. I think we need to move beyond the hand, you know, the the physicians who have been doing it for a long time here in the U.S. and the and they're the names you see on the podium that are speaking pretty frequently. That have done a, a large number of uh, of inlays. If you speak to any of them that are doing the new procedure, uh, you'll really understand just how valuable it is to their practice uh, and how meaningful it is to their patients. And I think the more uh, other physicians uh, speak to those folks, uh, the more likely uh, you're going to see more up, uptake. And at the same time, I think consumer awareness could help uh, uh, so much. Uh, but, you know, I don't think this is any different. Uh, for those of us that lived through, and Yari certainly did, uh, and many of us have lived through the early days 
of whether it's IOL development or LASIK itself. A femtosecond laser, uh, uh, it's no different than that. And it, it, we're in the early, early days. It's just unfortunate that you know a couple of the companies had to spend a lot of dollars um, early on and then got in a situation where they had to grow probably at an unreasonable rate. Uh, they didn't get absorbed like you know the laser companies were fortunate enough to get absorbed into an AMO uh, and, and the other companies to absorb some of this early time. Um, but uh, uh, the inlay companies didn't have that benefit, and uh, and so I think it's just going to take it's going to take longer. Now you know you you have to have good outcomes. You have to have good outcomes. Patients' uh, word of mouth is important. Uh, and the camera inlay benefits from that. Uh, it's getting great outcomes today. I think if you were uh, to reach out and talk to anyone that's had a camera inlay placed in the last few years, uh, you'll just hear how it's changed their life. Well, that's great. Thank you, Al Waterhouse, for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you so much, Al Waterhouse, for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, OIS podcast listeners. It's great to have you here. Give us a ranking on iTunes, whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Tell others about the podcast, and of course, reach out to me. I'm on Twitter, at MedTechTom, or you can email me, Tom, at HealthyG.com. That's the word health, followed by letters E-G-Y.com. HealthyG produces the OIS podcast and the OIS events. Please let me know what we're doing right, what we can do better, and uh, who we should talk to. It's always great to hear from you. Finally, don't forget to attend OIS at ASCRS. It's happening on April 12th. In Washington, D.C., go to ois.net to register, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.